Good evening and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. As usual, my name is Michael and co-hosting with me is Phoenix. Today we have one guest. Our guest is Salihu Dasuki Nakande. Salihu is a university lecturer as well as a member of the All Progressives Congress. In fact, he used to be their youth leader in the UK. Now today we'll discuss two topics. Both of them are legal in nature. The first concerns the Court of Appeals ruling in Oshun State declaring Governor Adeleke, some people call him the dancing governor, as the winner of the Oshu gubernatorial elections. So he defeated former Governor Oyetola at the Court of Appeal. The second case we'll be discussing is the petition or the other petitions filed by Peter Obi and Atiku Abubakar to the Nigerian courts asking that they be declared winners of the presidential elections on the basis that uh, Bolatinibu did not win and that also he's not qualified and what, what have you, uh, Phoenix and Dasuki would dissect these matters further. But first of all, to Phoenix. So let's start with the Oshun judgment. I, I presume you read it because I know you, you you love to read this kind of stuff. So can you summarize to us what the key findings of the court were? Hi, Michael. And uh, hi, Sally. Thanks for joining us. And hello, listeners. Um, so the, the key finding or the key, I mean, the key basis for the ruling by the appeal court in favor of Adeleke was basically that um, the allegation of overvoting, which was the basis for the tribunal's um, decision, was overturned to, to the extent that they said um, Oyetola did not successfully prove overvoting. Now, if we remember, the tribunal had reached a two-to-one decision in which the majority decision had majority judgment had been that um, about 700 plus polling units had recorded over voting based on the INEC preliminary report. And so the tribunal had set aside those polling units and then recount, recalculated the votes based on what they deemed was valid and therefore declared that um, Oyetola had won. Of course, I mean, there had been discussions and I believe that we also discussed it on the podcast that that was not a reasonable judgment because number one, you don't disenfranchise that, that number of people and ideally what you should have said is even if it were true, would have been to go for a rerun in those polling units. Um, but the, 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 the bigger issue was that they had relied on the preliminary report issued by, by INEC and re had refused to accept the final complete report, audited, fully synchronized reports by INEC, which validated the results of the elections, stated that there were only six polling units with overvoting, and which affirmed that Adeleke truly won the election. So by the time, I mean, the matter went to the appeal court, they just looked at it and said, look, you'll be on the basis of the source record and, and, and looking at that, 
they overturned the uh, uh, tribunal ruling and confirmed uh, Adeleke's victory um, and and closed the matter on that basis. So for me, it was it was without doubt the, <laughs> the logical outcome, and it was also good that it was um, quite different from the tribunal ruling. It was a unanimous decision, um, and the law obviously to, uh, took the right course. I just need to get some clarity on the, on this issue, Phoenix. So there was there was a, as you said, I'm I'm not an IT specialist, so there was a source record that could give you the accurate numbers of voters that participated in the process. So why do you know why the tribunal at first instance was refusing to look at that uh, data? I was instead relying on half or incomplete data. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think only the justices can tell us what they were what they were thinking. I mean, even even the even the lead justice, the, the chairman of the tribunal, in his document, if you remember, was writing Buga and all those kind of things. So I, I really, I really, I mean, to this day, um, and I'm sure we'll speak about the judiciary and and how people view the judiciary today. But I, I think it was a. Um, a serious lapse of judgment. I mean, it, now bear in mind context, and context matters. BVAS is, is new technology. It was first used, um, you know, in those three elections before we had this year, Anambra, Osho, and Ikiti. And so even INEC themselves were getting used to how this technology now enhances transparency and, and should improve the election process. So what happened was that when they completed the elections and asked for and ran a report from BVAS as to you know, number of accredited voters, because that's, that's what overvoting really means. Overvoting means that the, the number of ballots counted exceeds the number of accredited voters, which should not happen. You can't have more people voting than were accredited by BVAS. And that's a great, great step forward in our process, because with BVAS, with, with the uh, PVC, people have to be uh, biometrically accredited and, and that captures that data. But again, this is, this is technology and for them, they ran the report before the, the BVAS machines had fully downloaded all of, the, all of the numbers into their server. So what, they, what, the, what the data that they got out was partial, wasn't, wasn't full, but you know, Again, going back to my point around context and new systems, it happens. And so somebody ran that report. It is an INEC report. They validated it. They, they certified it and presented it to Oyetola based on what he had requested for his case. Now, INEC subsequently then provided the full and final report and said, look, this is the full and final report. And these are the BVAS machines. You know, So you can validate and see that they, they tally. So what you have is, is not that it is not it is not that it is fake. No, it is just incomplete. So admit the complete result and you will see that there was nothing wrong with the election, but the appeal, uh, the tribunal refused saying that, no, this was, this was already presented as evidence and so they would not accept it. Of course, I mean, they must have understood that this was going to create an issue at, at the appeal level and that's what rightly happened. So I, I, can't, I can't speak to the state of mind of, <laughs> of the members of the tribunal and why they decided to do something that would be overturned. I think there's also the issue of lack of consequences 
uh, a lack of censure when judges, you know, take make certain judgments and, you know, in, in other parts of the world, when you make a judgment that can very clearly be overruled, there's some censure. There's some penalty to be, to be paid for making a judgment that very clearly, very easily gets overturned. And I think part of that has to come into our, into our processes. Thank you, Phoenix. Dasuki, the question, uh, oh, Salihu, sorry, let me call you Salihu. You saw the news about the tribunal's ruling, and first of all, were you, were you happy and satisfied that the judges reached the right conclusion? And secondly, do you know what steps former Governor Yotola is going to take? Is he going to appeal to the Supreme Court, or is he going to accept the decision of the Court of Appeal? Um, so we saw the judgment, and obviously, as uh, as law-abiding citizens, and which the APC has always been, unlike the other guys on the other side, we respected the verdict. And just like the uh, Oshun APC and the governor said, they said they were going to read what the verdict was all about, and obviously they are going to go to the what, Supreme Court. And that's uh, that's uh, that's okay for them to do. It's their liberty. I mean, they, they can go all the way to the Supreme Court. And uh, the verdict out there in the in the appeal court, if you read the judgment, was obviously uh, APC didn't um, provide enough proof to show that there was um, there was overvoting, and so they obtained the the verdict of the tribunal. So that was basically it. So, um, but again, uh, Oyetela and his team said they still have evidence that there was overvoting and as such, they will go to the, to the, to the Supreme Court uh, of Nigeria. Thank you, Salihu. So if, if, if it is true that the was maybe some overvoting, but it, it did not change the outcome of the election results. Are you not disappointed in the ruling of the tribunal that made reference to even Buga in their gov in their ruling, and also the fact that they they failed to rely on proper documentation from INEC? Oh no 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 no! I'm not I'm not disappointed at all. Uh, I I mean, uh, whatever has happened in this uh, in the tribunal in the court case, obviously we had different. Um, uh, different judges. We had different arguments out there in this court. Uh, in in the court, it's it's evident, or it's it can, it, it's possible that the the team from the Adelike scam didn't provide enough uh, what evidences out there. And then that's why. And then they've gone back. They've studied the verdict of tribunal, and they've done a better job out there in the in, in the appeal court. So whether they, they, they were talking about Buga or not Buga, I mean, that's just the, a phrase to, 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 to describe an event. So there's nothing um, special about it, and it doesn't make a mockery of the judiciary. Thank you, Salihu. Phoenix, the other aspect of this ruling that I, I want to discuss, because you've, 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 I think you touched a bit on it when you were commenting generally on, on the state of the judi judiciary. But the question is, shouldn't there be certain types of rulings that a judge delivers that when the appeal court or the Supreme Court knocks it down as, as badly as they did in this one, 
shouldn't that be grounds for maybe a judge himself to resign and say, look, it's clear that I'm not up to the up to the judge, up to the position? Or doesn't it call to question the the recruitment procedures for members of the judiciary, Phoenix? Michael, I can't agree more, which was what I was trying to say. There needs to be censure. I mean, this I mean, if we must have the judiciary is, is the I mean, the, the court is the is the final um, arbiter on a number of cases in the sense that, and we we must have faith in the judiciary. Now, let's understand that in a democracy, right? The structure is power. Power belongs to the people, so the people ele- elect representatives who make laws on their behalf. That's why you have a large national assembly. So you have. Three, uh, how many now? 109 senators, you have 369, I think, if I'm correct, um, House of Assembly members. You want to have as broad a, popul- a good sample size to go there, debate, make robust laws. Now, on base of those laws, you have your judiciary that is supposed to interpret those laws and pass judgment. But nobody elects judges. So they're supposed to be the best among us, understand the law, have had a a distinguished career, and then sit in those places and and make you know judgments based on the law, based on facts, based on good public interest. Now, when you start having judges who are making judgments that are antithetical to the law and capable of creating disaffection, distrust in that process, it creates a challenge. And so there must be a process for censure. And I know that that's always been the case because the Nigerian Judiciary Commission has in times past, you know, reviewed um, uh, judges and, you know, there, there's been some, there's been some um, times that they've passed, you know, suspended judges or do done things like that. So there must be, in cases where it is absolutely clear that this was a miscarriage of justice, there must be censure because then you send the right message to the judiciary, making them know that, yes, you guys have a lot of power, but to whom much is given, much is expected. So you must, you must use that power responsibly and in favor of the people. And so for me, it is absolutely critical that we not only hold such judges responsible, but also the entire judicial architecture itself, the Nigerian judicial, I hope I'm saying it right, the Judicial Commission and all of that, to make sure they have the right processes to hold judges and justices accountable for the things that they do. This was a very ridiculous judgment. Anybody knew that this this was, even on the three-man panel, there was a dissenting judgment. It was so clear that this was, I mean, it would have been ridiculous if the appeal court had allowed this to stand. You must go back to the source record. So when we see things like that, it it erodes the trust in the judiciary and it creates a significant issue. And I think absolutely there must be recourse for people to be held accountable for things like this. Thank you, Phoenix. Let me go to... Salihu, Salihu, you've you've said that the APC is a party of law-abiding people, so you expect them to abide by the decision. But I get from from the from the tone of your response, I get the impression that you still believe that Governor Yetola was the actual winner. But the question is the fact that 
in the presidential election, APC still lost Oshun State. Does that indicate to you that perhaps it is true that your party has fallen out of favor with the people of Oshun? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't think because um, the party lost in the presidential election automatically implies that then uh, that then it has, they've lost uh, faith in the whole um, uh, um, party as a whole. Nope. I, I, I agree with that. Because that's, we can argue also, if you look at the, the elections in the, I mean, with, with the guy who Phoenix supports, because he won presidential election in some of the key states, doesn't mean it translated into the governorship elections as well. I think, I think, Michael, just one point to add. I mean, you talked about presidential elections. I mean, the, the Adelike's party, PDP, won not only the presidential elections, they won all three Senate seats. They won 25 out of the 26 out of assembly seats. I mean, what else do we need to tell us that APC has lost favor with, with, the, with the people of Osho State? I mean, no, no, no. Michael, I, I, I said, Michael, Phoenix, you need to understand that if you look at the... If that, that's even why I'm just waiting to see what will happen at the Supreme Court, and I don't want to put too much discussion on this. Uh, um, if you look at the Southwest in general right now, there is no state that that is suffering from political togri killings and the rest like Ocean State. Really? The PDP machinery mm -hmm. in here is... Lagos, Lagos is not. What is Lagos? What, what, what is Lagos? We're talking about killing people. Interesting. Out there, or, or, with what is happening, a lot of APC members have been killed. So much of fear. We don't know what has happened in tribunal. We don't know what's happening also with regards to the judges. I believe, anyways, the appeal court, the judgment was done in 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 in, in Abuja, which was very very good in order to avert the kind of crisis that the PDP uh, led government there is pushing towards. And now when you talk about also the, the whole um, judgment about uh, whether um, the tribunal got it right or they didn't get it right. If you look at the argument also of, of, of APC was that even the final finalized um, document based on what I read and I heard about it was they weren't even confident with the finalized report that came out from the Ocean State um, INEC viewers because it came, back, it came out 10 days after if this stuff was on the system, why didn't you automatically get the final? Why did you have to wait 10 days later for an election that has ended? And then you now go back again and find out that there were some, uh, when I, if I could remember, there were some disparities between um, some of the results in the, in, in, the, in the final one and some of the results in the prelim, prelim, uh, preliminary report that was submitted. What makes us think that um, or the Ocean State uh, PDP members have not gone and threatened the INEC staff over there? Indeed. Right. In the, yes, in the cases yes. of URES, it has happened in, in, in Kano. But obviously, we know the professors of Kano are professors of integrity that came out to say that they were they were forced to announce results, they were faced, forced to change results. And but, had, so, sorry, Sally, I need to get some clarity on this. So you're saying... Oi. The the ruling party was intimidated. The ruling party that is in control of the security forces was intimidated by the opposition into so, winning elections. That's what you're saying. So the ruling so, party with no police or army threatened. So my argument, because uh, Phoenix was arguing about um, 
about APC losing the law in, uh, in this sense. So I was trying to argue again to tell him that we won't be surprised or obviously that the Adelike's government is using all kinds of intimidations to intimidate INEC, to intimidate staffs in INEC, to, to intimidate everyone around the judiciary in, in, in Ocean State so that they will bring out favors in their own in their own terms. And most likely that's why there's a lot of disparities in the document that INEC is sending because of the kind of intimidation that the PDP-led government is pushing towards people. But, but, you know. but, so the question for you, Dasuki, is does it not cast uh, a shadow on the integrity of the APC government if you're saying the elections that they supervised, that they organized, they were intimidated so the, by the, the, that the opposition intimidated ju judiciary, intimidated INEC, intimidated uh, security forces. So you're saying basically under Buhari's leadership, he cannot deliver free and fair elections? Uh, Michael, it's not Buhari that is delivering elections in Nigeria. We have what they call INEC, Independent National Electoral Commission. It has the independent body that is running. So it's not APC running elections in Nigeria. If the APC running elections in Nigeria, then all 36 states in Nigeria will be APC. Just for Okay, thank you. That's an interesting. So you're saying the, the police who and the army were not taking orders from the Buhari government, they were taking orders from the INEC chairman, the people who were supposed to secure the uh, the public were, were under the authority of the INEC chairman, not Buhari? Yes, you're, we're talking about running the election. You said that the APC is running the elections, and I'm making it clear to you that the APC is not running the elections. The Independent National Electoral Commission is running the elections. But what they, they need is they need the, what, the, the, the support and collaboration from other what, security architecture. Okay, no, thank you, Saliwila. Let's, let's, let me go to Phoenix, because we need to go to the next topic, because this, this, this topic is would take us some more time. So, Phoenix, Atiku and Obi have filed their petitions before the Nigerian courts asking that the elections or the, the, the verdict declaring from the INEC that Bolatinubu was elected president to be set aside and either the results be cancelled or a rerun takes place. So I want us to dissect the key issues they've raised and I want us to address them one by one. The, the, the first big issue that a number of Nigerians have been debating, both lawyers in real life as well as Twitter and social media lawyers, is the question of this 25% requirement. On the one hand, one group of people argue that all a candidate needs to win is win the majority vote as well as 25% of all states, including the federal capital ter territory. Another group argues that no, you need to win 25% of the 36 states and 25% in Abuja. So to Phoenix, on, on this 25% issue, where do you think the correct law stands? Or what do you think is the correct legal interpretation? You know, I've always had a challenge with this. And I, and I remember saying all along before the elections that this was something that the Supreme Court should and would have to rule over. So I'm, I'm happy that it is going to be tested now. Do I think that, uh, but wait, I wait to see how, how they will come at it. Now, when I look at it from my own lens, I looked at it and I've been saying this to, to people, I looked at it from 
historical um, um, context and also from what was the intent, knowing that we're basically working on the basis of the 1999 constitution. So historical for me goes back 20 years before that to 1979 and what happened in the election between in the in the elections then and the issue between who won uh, between Shagari and Aulo. So we had Shagari who won the priority of votes. Um, so he won more, um, the highest number of votes. And then you had Shag uh, Aulo who, who came second. Now the issue then was, we also had this requirement where you had to win most votes and then you also had to win 25% of, um, of the votes in two thirds of the states. And, and back then we only had 19 states. So he created a quandary because you can't divide 19 into three. <laughs> so inside, so what, what, I mean, that basically means you have, uh, uh, I mean, for, for you to have to cal calculate two thirds of the states, you basically end up with 12 to third. So as, as, as we would have it, Shagari got most votes, but then only got 25% in 12 states. In a 13 state, he got 19%. So of course he didn't meet the, the requirements, but then it became a question of, okay, so how do we, what is the requirement? If it's 12 to thirds and we start calculating, you know, they went into so many permutations and that created an issue back then. It was finally resolved that Shagari won. But if we, if we then go forward from there and look at how, uh, how we then evolved, you can see in, in the evolution of the number of states that we have, that we kept going to a situation where our states were then divisible by three. We went to 24 states, we went to 30 states, we went to 36 states. The Federal Capital Territory came into being, I believe in 1991. And so by the time that we were having the 1999 constitution, knowing that historical context, in my view, my argument has always been that the reason why we have 36 states is to enable us have to third of 36, which is 24. And so that suggests that because, I mean, you, because you don't want to repeat that issue and then be trying to divide 37 by three, you divide 36 by three and then FCT is separate. So that was, that was the initial position I said from a logical perspective from taking that historical con context into view that obviously people who were drafting you know, constitution 20 years later will not draft a constitution really making a mistake based on what had happened before. But people have made arguments to say, what you are then saying is that Abuja has now, would, would now be the deciding factor for election. To which I say, no, it is not saying that Abuja would be the deciding factor for election. If you were to say that, it will require for the president to win in Abuja. It is only requiring the president to have 25% in Abuja. So then I go to the second part of my argument to say, instead of you looking at it as elevating Abuja beyond other states, why don't you look at it as bringing Abuja and its residents to the same level as other states, or at least trying to bridge the gap that has happened. And, and, and this is an argument that I've made most recently to say, look, don't look at it as glass, half empty, look at it as half full, in the sense that Abuja, having been co-opted as a federal capital territory, does not have its own elected officials into a local Abuja government. Rather, what the constitution has done is to say that the president we all elect 
across the country, 36 states plus FCT, is the governor for Abuja. The National Assembly, we all elect, where Abuja only sends one senator and two reps members into what I had counted before as over 500 people, will be the National Assembly that decides what happens in Abuja. And so if that's the case, if Abuja people do not have their own government, so if you, if you flip it on his head, is it not fair to then say that whoever is going to be the governor for Abuja, because that's what the president is going to become, must have at least 25%. They're not even demanding that you win the election. Because remember, in other states, you must win the plurality of votes and you must win 25% in all the in two-thirds of local governments for you to be governor. But they are saying that the governor of Abuja only needs to have 25% of the votes in Abuja for you to win. I do not think that that is ridiculous. I think that brings, that creates some parity with everybody else. And so for me, those are the two things that I look at. That number one, if I look at historical context, and if I was trying to, if I was putting myself in the shoes of those drafting the 1999 constitution and putting this thing in, I would be thinking about making sure that doesn't happen again. So I won't be going 37, instead I will do 36 plus one. And if I'm also looking at it from a fairness angle, I would make sure that the Abuja people have a say in who gets to decide their affairs. Because again, people forget that we are in a federation. In a proper federation, if we have restructuring and evolution and everything, your president and the governors, you know, your governors are more important to you than the president. The problem we have here is we have too much power in the center and that's part of what we need to, to break down. But if you have a governor, he has his budget, he should be delivering for you in your state. In Abuja, the person they need to look to is the president because the president appoints the minister of the FCT who's responsible for delivering for the Abuja people. So in essence, what we are saying is that a president can win 25% of, you know, 25 states across Nigeria, be absolutely hated in Abuja and become the president and governor, the person who decides what happens for the Abuja people. I think to the extent that it was only deemed 25% and not an outright win. I think for me, that balance from a, uh, what is the intent of the law and what is the spirit of the law, that's, that's how I look at it. So for me, from those two perspectives, I lean towards having Abuja as its own for that 25%, but then I wait to hear what the learned justices will say and how they would, how they would decide on the matter. Thank you, Phoenix. Let me go to Salihu. So, Salihu, on this point, what is your view? Do you think Bolatinibu needs to win 25% in Abuja? No, no, he doesn't. It's obvious. Obviously, you can hear Phoenix saying that he will prefer the 25% there. These guys, they just want to, they just want to make, they keep making things very, very complex. And then, obviously, it's, it's, it's based on their I do I I don't even know the word to use, maybe political naivety. I mean, if for if we even if we go with Phoenix claims that says that oh that the president must win 25%, including Abuja to be to be to, to be referred to as a president elect, then what happens? Do we all now go to his drawing board and keep on doing elections in Abuja? Because as much as we know is that Bola Metinibu will never win elections in, 
in, in, in, in, in FCT. Most likely Peter Obi will continue to win it, but Peter Obi will also never win elections in the whole of Nigeria. So do we just keep on repeating elections there to, to, to ensure that that 25% is gotten by Tinubu or Peter Obi, which will continue to get, but he will never get 25% in the rest of Nigeria. But the interpretation is out there. I guess a lot of people have been interpreting it the wrong way. For example, I saw Falana was here yesterday that saying that Abuja should be the 37th state. And then obviously going with the perspective of Phoenix that should stay, then someone should get 25%. But I don't think that's what the interpretation says from understanding of it and also looking at what people have said. It says you should get 25%, including FCT. It didn't say FCT must be part of the 25%. But we'll wait on, 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 on what the Supreme Court will, will, will say about it. But there is no way that because of Abuja, then they will take us back to go and be rerunning elections again. And I guess that's you know, what the interpretation says with regards to it. Michael, can I quickly make a, a couple of comments? Oh, yes, yes. One is, one is to address the, I mean, just to address the points that uh, Sally was making. We do not have, the, the, the people who drafted the constitution also foresaw that, and they made sure that we do not end up voting in perpetuity. Maximum, we only need three rounds of voting. In the first round, if, if we don't have somebody with the right spread, then you narrow down to two people. Those two people go head to head. So you narrow down to two people. How do you choose those two people? You choose the person that has won the most votes. And then you choose the second person who has won the most votes in most states. So you already remove the remaining 16 people and you go to a rerun with those two people. If out of those two people, you still don't get the spread, you go to a final rerun. And in that, in, in, sorry, no, runoff. You go to a final runoff, and, and in that final, the third round, it, it becomes a winner takes all. So even if one person wins by just one vote across all of the country, whether you get 25% or not, you become president. So they understood that, of course, you cannot continue doing it in perpetuity. So the law is there. The constitution was drafted correctly. So <laughs> let us follow the constitution. In, what we are saying is that in the first round, the, the, the requirements were not met. So you go, you follow the law and you go to the next round, remove the people who are not eligible, have two people, run, run the election and, and, and follow that. There's nothing that's, that says that we should not do that in perpetuity. And again, I push back on the idea that we're saying Abuja should declare, uh, he was saying something about, oh, if you don't win in Abuja, uh, it was funny to me that he said Tinubu can never win in Abuja, which is, I, I don't understand why he says that, because I mean, it should be, that should be not something that you should be proud of saying. But the requirement is not for you to win in Abuja. The requirement is for you to have 25%. How can you validly go and sit and be, and be governor for a place where you do not have, cannot hope to have 25% of the votes? I mean, we need to think about it logically. Why should you, you know, be allowed to be in that? The only other solution is for us to go back to the, so if the Supreme Court rules that no, Abuja is 37 states, so we should calculate it as 24 to 3rd. Fine. What we must then say to the, to the National Assembly is then you must give Abuja its own government. We need to rewrite the constitution to give Abuja at, at least a mayor for somebody they can elect who is responsible for their, for their own place so that it, he addresses their own issues. Because you cannot ask people to be led by somebody who who less than 25% believe in, who more than 75% reject. 
It's a, such a low bar that I'm even surprised that we're debating it. It's not requiring a win. It's requiring that at least 25% of the people say yes. And no other president have we had who did not get that. Um, uh, uh, this is, Michael, can I just counter Phoenix? Yes, yes, you have two minutes. Yes. Uh, Michael, uh, Phoenix, yes. Uh, I'm not ashamed to say at this moment we will never win Abuja. You know why? Because of the kind of politics that Peter Obi has played. Let me remind you that you see that Abuja, right? On the normal day when, Abu when elections are taking place in Abuja, majority of the people go back home. Majority of the people go back home, they go back to the north, they go back to the east, they go back to the south, and what, what, what not that is happening. But unfortunately, with this election, with the kind of politics that Peter Obi has played, obviously, we know the indigenous uh, um, people of Abuja, we know, we, we, we know from a religious perspective where the full majority of them are Christians. If you look at it also, look, looking at where the majority of the northerners are living in Abuja, obviously, they go back to their respective states. There's been a lot of insecurity in the southeast, a majority of them have stayed back in Abuja. Abuja, in general, also, they don't even uh, uh, vote for APC. Now, if you look at all those factors coming together and looking at the kind of election that Peter Obi has gone from a religious perspective, we keep on playing. But I will assure you that if elections only we hold in Abuja only in one day without everyone going back to their respective cities, Tinubu will even defeat Peter Obi in Abuja. But if we're running the kind of elections we do there in which everyone goes back to their city, to their states to go and vote in, in, in one single day and with the kind of politics that Peter will be placed from this religious perspective, then yes, we will never win there. But let me tell you again and tell you again, if they were to hold elections, let everyone just let's do an election in Abuja only, then I can assure you that we would defeat Peter will be no doubt. But right now he's enjoying whatever it is that is playing around his own tempo. So that's why we'll never win at the moment. But if it's only an election that we're holding in Abuja with everyone residing in Abuja, not going back to their respective cities, then 25% is going to be easily gotten. And most likely we'll even defeat the Peter Obi in Abuja. So, Salu, Salu, please just clarify what you're saying. You're saying Peter Obi is playing religious politics. So what are you saying? That in Abuja, the dominant religion is Christianity? Is that what you're saying? I, I don't understand. Yeah, don't Abuja, you, Abuja is not owned by houses, I'm sure you know. Who cares whether it's owned by houses or not? You said religion, you didn't say tribe. What, what oh, yes. you're, saying, you're saying that Peter Obi is playing religious politics. That's why Tinubu cannot win in Abuja. So what does that mean? Is there a predominant religion in Abuja? Yeah, there's a predominant religion in Abuja. There is. Oh, there really? is yes, absolutely. And Peter Obi is playing a very religious and tribalistic kind of uh, uh, election. And that's where it has taken us today. He has divided this country. And I'm telling you directly, Phoenix, so whether you take it back or you don't take it back, and that is it, Abuja. So is, Peter Obi, Peter Obi, who who is a Christian and has a Muslim running mate, is the oh. one who is playing religious politics versus somebody who had the same faith ticket. Oh yeah, absolutely. Your Tinubu, who had both um, both Muslim Muslim, is the one. He, I, I, I think it's obvious from mm -hmm. even the arguments that is happening right now. But we'll have this discussion later on so that we don't yes. move. No, yes. Okay. Obviously, we can agree to disagree because I need, I need to move on to the second aspect. And that's okay. I also, Sally, I also need your engagement on this. So, the second question is about this drug related forfeiture that Bola Tinubu was the subject of in the United States. There was an affidavit that was sworn by the investigator saying he traced some hundreds of thousands of dollars into Bola Tinubu's bank account and the 
source of that money was the heroin uh, trafficking business. So the question, Phoenix, first to you is, there's an argument as to whether or not this forfeiture falls within the definition of a fine or a penalty for dishonest conduct under the Nigerian constitution and therefore disqualifies Bolatinubu from even being a candidate. So first question to you, uh, Phoenix, do, do you think this is sufficient to disqualify him? I believe so. I believe so. The, the Electoral Act is clear on what you need to, where you need to be, I mean, on what determines the eligibility. And it's clear that, I mean, if you've been, if you've been fined uh, for an offense, um, um, and it's, <laughs> the interesting thing is that it, it calls out dishonesty, calls out fraud, it, it then says, or any other offense or whatever. So it's broad enough to say, basically it is saying that if you have been fined for a significant offense, you are not eligible to be president. Now, we now need to take a step back and say, what, what, what does fine mean? And therefore we go back to the Supreme Court who have made a, a judgment where they've declared that forfeiture is a fine. It's, a, it's akin to a punishment um, for a criminal offense. So if we have somebody who a competent court has ordered a, an asset forfeiture against, a drug-linked asset forfeiture against, and then we come to our own Supreme Court judgment saying that if, if, you've, if you've forfeited your assets, then that is akin to a punishment, it is a fine. And then we come to the Electoral Act, which says that if you've been fined, you are not eligible. It's, it's clear. The law is, is clear. So there's no... For me, there's no ambiguity there. The question is, I mean, what are the what are the steps that you have to follow? You have to first, you know, be certain that there was a forfeiture and there's there's clear um, court documents to support that there was a forfeiture. I mean, and then you say, what does it mean in Nigerian Nigerian uh, legal terms? You go to a clear Supreme Court judgment, which by by to be clear was delivered by the current Chief Justice of of the Supreme Court. And then you come to the Electoral Act, uh, which let's not forget, the Electoral Act was recently uh, renewed uh, in, in 2022. So the people drafting the Act knew that this was there. So for me, there's no, uh, there, again, we wait for judicial interpretation and I'm also trying to be careful because not to be subjudiced because I mean, this is going through, this is in court now, but if we just follow the facts and the legal position, it should be it should be clear. There should be no ambiguity. Thank you, Phoenix. Let me come to Salihu on this point. Salihu, because there's two strands to the APC's argument, or from what I've been able to put together. On the one hand, the, the APC seems to deny Bolatinibu was involved in any kind of drug-related issue. But on the other hand, they also say even if he was, it happened over 10 years ago, and therefore somehow the constitution doesn't apply or alternatively they say it it was a it was a forfeiture but not a fine so i want you to address these two questions uh, salu so first of all was there any kind of was bolatinibu in any way involved in any sort of drug or drug dealing money laundering any kind of drug related offense and secondly does that disqualify him from running for office salu i guess if if it was going to disqualify him, I guess he shouldn't have been the, uh, a senator of the Federal Republic of Nigeria. He shouldn't have been a two-time governor of Lagos State. 
and he said drug deal absolutely not but it's just unfortunate that some unpatriotic nigerians have decided to 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 bring out bring up this discussion in order to tarnish the president election. No, 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 sorry, sorry. I need, I need to pin this thing down. So, are you saying money in his in his account wasn't confiscated by the U.S. government? Let me give you an instance, Michael. Michael, some in two thousand and seven, right? I had a classmate here in, here here in England. He comes from a very very wealthy home from Kano. Yeah, from Kano. His dad is a businessman. I'm not, I'm not, his dad is a businessman and he sent him some amount of money. That was at then in 2007. And then um, one of the banks, the leading bank in the UK, actually now what? Called him and then they, they froze his account as well. And then they asked him that he needs to bring some evidences and um, whatnot from his dad's account. And his dad is a businessman that's not even educated. So I don't even want to mention names and stuff. Moving forward, when he requested for that document from his dad, what did the dad say? He said, no, he's not going to send any bank account. You know what? He can just as well just leave that money to them. And that was it. Today, that guy cannot open a, a, a bank account there. So what is it? He forfeited it. But at the end of the day, the argument also at the end of 2007 with regards to that guy's parent could also be argued that well, this, with this large sum of money, what does your dad do? Could he be coming from one illicit um, and business? They could also argue that, oh, because he, he never wanted to share his bank account with this bank, most likely it, it's coming from an illicit uh, business. But absolutely, that was not even the case. That was not the case. So that's the same case here with, with Tinewu. Large amount of money was found. There was an assumption. It was an assumption. There was no link with, 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 with regards to the president-elect and drug dealing. If they would, why wouldn't why haven't they convicted him? I'm sorry, I need to pin this down. Phoenix, was this an assumption, as Sally was saying, that we're just assuming the money was drug money, that it was like his friend who was studying Bolatinibu's father sent him uh, four hundred thousand dollars? And th th is that is that are we the ones assuming this, Phoenix? Sally is speaking from a parallel universe because I don't understand how somebody says that um it was an assumption, so something that there, there are clear court papers and court records um, that clearly show what the investigation, how, how long there was an investigation, what the investigation came up with that shows probable, that showed probable cause because you require that to go and, and go to court and get a judge to sign off on the, the asset forfeiture. And the, the government needs to show the evidence. The U.S. government needed to show the evidence that, look, there is a strong link here. But what happens is they seize the money. They don't appropriate the money right away. Mm -hmm. but then they put the onus on the person who owns the money to come and prove that there is no link. Now, the analogy that <laughs> Sahil is telling us it is ludicrous to the extent that I can understand the quandary that this young man or whoever this person was because his father refused to give him the evidence to, to defend the case. So the onus is not on the, on the man who got money into his account. He got money into his account, but somebody else has to prove the, 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 uh, the legality of the funds. So he's dependent on somebody else. Who, who was Bola Tinubu dependent on to prove that the money was legal or not? Bola Tinubu said that the money was his. He went to the court and said that the money was his. They said, okay, prove to us how you brought, how you got the money. At the end of the day, he, he settled the case. 
and agreed to forfeit money. So <laughs> I don't understand. Who was he depending on to help him to prove that the, the money was not uh, illicit? Money was clearly illicit. Now, to the point he was making around, oh, he would not have become a senator, please. I mean, always, people should always be clear on the chronology and, this, and the facts of the matter. Bola Tinubu was already a senator of the Federal Republic of Nigeria at the time the case was decided. So, yes, there was a forfeiture claim, but they, went, they, they debated the issue at the point when they signed off and agreed in 1993, September, he was already a senator for more than a year. So it was never going to affect his election as a senator. And let's not even forget that that was under military rule. Then let's not also forget that having signed the deal that they made, that agreed to forfeit the money, it was therefore done without, with prejudice, which meant that we're closing this matter, we're, we're moving on from it, and, and that's it. So he then, we then have, he, he's, he then joins Nadeko, um, he's, he's lauded as a, as a hero, and, uh, and by the time we come to 1999 and we're running elections, you know, nobody's thinking about that. Everybody's thinking about, oh, how do we reward these guys who fought for democracy? So nobody was looking to challenge on that basis until later when this matter started coming up and people started romp I mean, creating rumbles, which was why we then had a Tafa Balogun, the, the IG at that time, go, go and get this dodgy letter from the US embassy saying that he has no case to answer. Of course, he had no case to answer because the case had been settled with, with prejudice. So let's understand the chronicle of what has happened, but it does not change the fact that there was a court-ordered asset forfeiture. And you don't forfeit assets unless you have, unless there is sufficient grounds for the state to prove that there is illicit activity. Nobody can simply come and, and block your account and take money from your account. And you come and show proof that, no, I didn't do anything wrong. And they won't give you back your money. Michael, please, can I ask Phoenix? A question. Please ask. I'm listening yes, to you. Please go ahead. Please just tell me if it's if there's a strong link, as his argument is there's a strong link, there's drug dealing and whatever it is taking place. Then the American government or the court in America, they will allow him to forfeit rather than convict him. Convict him how? He wasn't resident in the US. He was a senator of the Federal Republic of Nigeria. There was political expediency. He, <laughs> he's, they fined him almost half a million dollars. So you're, you're making it sound as if they just let him go. Can you maybe just study, study the facts of the matter and the, and, the, and, the, and the laws that they used to make this asset for future happen? Okay, fine. If, if you tell me to go and study the law and go and say it, okay, fine. How does this now translate to them disqualifying him? You see, I'm just even looking at the whole uh, uh, of context of what you're trying to argue. You're just painting this just to argue and say, oh, this one is a dishonest man. Okay, fine. Nobody is the dishonest man. How does this now qualify to disqualify him from no, of, from running for the elections? Which your own principle that the whole because that's the whole argument you're just trying to bring. You're not bringing any concrete matter to say, oh, this guy's a conflict. You're just talking about he's been a dishonest man. Fine, okay, fine. No, no, but the, but the, but the electoral act, the electoral act states what makes you eligible or not. So what you need to be countering is not is based on the law. I've, I've, and that's why I was very careful to lay, that, to lay out the facts. 
So, so I'm asking you, what makes him just use just a noun, a noun term to tell me what makes him unable or disqualifies him based on the electoral act. Just because he was because he was fined for he was fined and forfeited funds for uh, drug linked activity. And the electoral act clearly states that for you to be eligible, you cannot be somebody who has paid a fine for an offense either dishonesty, fraud, or any other offense. <laughs> so so go back to the electoral so, so act. If I get even fined, I'm just even looking. If, so if I even get fined for a traffic offense in the UK, then it means I can't run now, since I've already been fined for an, for, for an, for, 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 for an activity that, 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 that is, in, is, is in this of the law. No, no, but that's why, that's why the electoral act doesn't talk about um, traffic offense now. <laughs> he doesn't mention traffic <laughs> offense. It's not oh, that. I don't laugh when you talk, but today you're making me laugh. No, no, but I just, I'm just responding to you now. What you're saying is ludicrous. Is ludicrous. The Electoral Act doesn't talk traffic offense. It talks about weighty matters. It's very clear. So speak to the weighty matters that are in the Electoral Act. Don't give us all these funny analogies that you're coming up with. The Electoral Act is very clear. If you've committed fraud or dishonesty, Number one, if you had been if you had been jailed, there would be no con contest. But the electoral act was the people who drafted the act were careful to say evidence that he's committed fraud. You're just talking Phoenix and just speaking English and drafting. Where you, you can't even show an evidence of you're talking about his committed fraud. Where is the evidence he's committed? No, but the evidence is the court case that we just discussed. This is anyways, but the uh, that we just discussed is not enough evidence. Has he ever denied that he gave up four hundred and sixty thousand dollars? Has he ever told you that he he committed a fraud or he? he no, or, no, no, Salute, you answer my question first. Has he ever denied that he that he gave up four hundred and sixty thousand dollars? Has he ever denied that? Has he ever talked about it? Did he did he say? It? No, but his spokesman, uh, what's his name? Um, Professor Skiamo came on uh, uh, national TV and admitted to having done the, to the forfeiture. He didn't. He, he admitted to it. No, Professor Skiamo is Professor Skiamo Bola Metinibu. She been now in court. Now you guys have taken him to the court. We're going okay. to finish. At least in court, is we know his lawyers will talk on his behalf. Okay, but so let's wait. Let's wait for the court. Michael, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank Michael, you. Sir. Phoenix, you want to use psychological distance to finish discussion here. Thank, Thank you, Sally. Let's move to the third ground of, of this appeal, which is that they're saying that in breach of the INEC's own electoral rules that they declared Bola Ahmed Tinubu winner, when in actual fact, the documents that were uploaded via the IREV system do not tally with what they are claiming. So they use the river states, for example. So to, to you, Phoenix, first, can you talk us through this argument? Because on the one hand, some people, some lawyers seem to be saying INEC does, didn't have to upload results via the IREF system. And then another group of lawyers said, no, 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 that the law required them to do so. And if they didn't, then it, it means the whole election should either be cancelled or you should only declare the results that have been uploaded. So can you talk us through where you stand on this argument? So for me, again, I'm, I'm trying to speak very clearly to the facts of the case. When we look at the Electoral Act, the Electoral Act very clearly says that results must be um, transmitted to uh, directly from the polling unit to the collation center. So that's not that, that cannot be in debate. But the Electoral Act also stipulated that the that INEC, which is a body created by the Constitution, that the regulations they give are the same as law, and will guide the elections. 
So then we go to what regulations did INEC give? INEC was at pains to make it clear to everyone that they will ensure that the results are, are not, are, that accreditation happens via BVAS, and through BVAS, they will transmit um, um, the, the uh, results uh, to IREF all through. They, they made those regulations clear. They kept reiterating and making out public pronouncements saying this is how we intend to run the elections. They also did elections before then that we saw them do it, Oshun that we've talked about, AKT, where they, they used the same process. They ran a mock election just before this election, again, to revalidate that process and make sure they're clear. So if we go to the facts, what does the Electoral Act say? What do INEC regulations say? There's, there's no ambiguity as to what should have been the process. So even INEC has not denied that, that, was the, that they were required to do it. Their defense is that we had technical glitches. Because if, 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 they, did, if they wanted to deny, they would have come out and say, oh, we were not bound to do it. They cannot come out and say that because they were very clear in their regulations. What they've come out to say is, oh, we had technical glitches. So they will have to, in court, prove that they have technical glitches. INEC cannot go to court and then say that, no, we had the liberty to do what we, we want. They cannot because they were very clear in their regulations and what they were supposed to do. So the, for me, that's not even a question that is up for debate. INEC was supposed to transmit results from the polling unit directly into IREF, as stipulated in their, in their uh, regulations, as backed by the Electoral Act. That it didn't happen is because INEC was still... So let's take a step back. When they then did the elections for uh, March 18, for the uh, governorship election, they followed that. They followed exactly the process. So, their, like I, I repeat, their defense has not been that oh, we had the choice to do this or that. They've never said that. And please, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. What they've said is we tried, and we had technical issues. That's a totally different matter. And they will need to prove those technical issues that they had. Otherwise, they would have gone against the law. And, can, and should be held liable and accountable for doing that. Thank you, Phoenix. Let me come to Salihu. Salihu, I know your, your background is IT and technology, if that's correct. The question is, are you not concerned that INEC laid down certain guidelines and they did not follow them? They didn't, they didn't upload results via IREV as they were supposed to. Secondly, from the online additions of the results in river states. People are, are, are clearly showing that even based on the results uploaded, Bolatinibu, your, your party's candidate, did not even win in river states. Do these things not concern you? Uh, <clears throat> Michael, the, election, the results were uploaded, but there was what? Delayed transmission of results to the IRF, which is not even... A, a what do you call it? It's not even a ground to challenge the, the election results. And if you look at even what the Labour Party are arguing, just like you said, is they are arguing with regards to what do they call it? I guess with regards to rivers and and and, and Benway. That's and to say that he was short change in the votes announced by INEC. But uh, if you look at it, fine. If you even give him the whole votes with his argument, dash him the whole rivers and Benway. 
if you add the whole votes that were conducted in those two states and you dash it to, 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 to Peter Obi, he wouldn't still win the elections. He wouldn't have the numbers to win the elections. And then secondly, like I even said, in his whole argument that he went to the court with is because one of his biggest mistakes, this his case is a dead on arrival, is he didn't have agents in all the units across Nigeria. This would have even given them access to that duplicate copies of this the form called the EC8A1 from all the polling units. But you see, they didn't even have those forms. At least he would have had the duplicate to even come and prove it, his, his case in the court. And then also he hasn't even provided evidence on how he felt he got the whole 25% of the vote cast across the, 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 the states of Nigeria, including the FCT, that would even warrant them to declare him as the winner of the uh, of the election. And I guess that's what he was trying to look for in, 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 his, in, in his fourth prayers. But we'll see how it goes. But for now, whether they dash rivers or no rivers or wherever it is, it's not going to win the election. But with regards to delayed transmission of the results to INEC, I don't think that's the ground for him, for them to even argue about the, the elections. Thank you, Sadiu. We've obviously, you and Phoenix have diverging opinions. The final point I was going to touch on is questions about the integrity of the judiciary, because a number of senior lawyers, including the likes of Olisa Agbakoba, senior advocate of Nigeria, a number of them have expressed concern that, because Olisa basically said on his own analysis of the law, it's obvious to him that Peter Obi's case should succeed. But he said his problem is that the judiciary or the Supreme Court is very unpredictable, that they've delivered bizarre rulings in the Emo State example, they did the same with uh, Senate, Senator Lawan, who did not take part in the primary, but somehow the courts ruled he was the candidate. So Ulisa Abakoba made this point, saying he doesn't trust the judiciary. So Phoenix, where do you stand? Do you, do you agree that the Supreme Court is, is, is unpredictable? Or do you think Ulisa Abakoba is just being a bit overly dramatic? I think... <laughs> I think... I think um, it's almost to me as though we can't say they're unpredictable. It's almost like you can predict that they're going to come up with something that most people are going to be scratching their heads and wondering where did they pull that out of. And and for me, that's a worrying pattern um, because you know it it is a pattern that we are seeing with the judiciary and also with the Supreme Court. We've seen this Supreme Court, you know in the Imo elections, completely bring something that was so, so left field that it's out of this planet. To the extent that, I mean, you know, you, 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 you disregard um, um, votes that were, you know, legally reported and all of that, and then say you're basing your judgment on something that some individual the, the, whether it be the police commissioner or somebody, there was some police guy that provided some documents and that is the basis for which they decided that somebody had won the election. You've seen a Supreme Court that has decided that somebody who ran for president and failed to get the nomination actually is eligible to run as senator, talking about the Ahmed Lawan case. So, so you're seeing quite a number of, of, of cases like that, that tell you, guys, what's going on? This is not the Supreme Court we used to know. There used to be 
uh, judgments on the basis of law and fact. And yes, it was not always that there was, there was general consensus, but at least you could run a thread through how they've decided and say, okay, there is some logic to what they're doing. But, but nowadays the concern is you can't even point to, uh, I mean, the reasoning behind it. And that's what gives people cause for concern. And you can also see it play out in the petitions that have been put forward. So when I look at the petitions that have been put forward, you can see that people are trying to petition on multiple grounds to make sure that they force the Supreme Court to address multiple issues. And do not forget, Supreme Court cases, as with most, most of most level, as with all levels of the court, but particularly the Supreme Court, it becomes decided law, becomes precedent. So you are, they are practically forcing the Supreme Court to take position on several things. We've talked about the Abuja 25%. We've talked about uh, I mean, eligibility to run for president. We, we will talk about, uh, we've talked about uh, the Electoral Act and the requirements to use IREV and BVAS. So there's so many, it speaks to the concern that those who are petitioning have um, with the, the court in forcing them to address multiple issues rather than saying, look, we are clear that if we do, a, a, if we're clear on a number of things, one, you should not have declared this guy as president because um, uh, he didn't get 25% in Abuja. Two, if you, if you actually count the, the votes, he did not win. So it, it would have been, I mean, and that is, if <laughs> we're talking about an election petition, you want to go there to prove that you won the election and that your opponent did not win. But knowing fully well that these guys have been taking some of these dodgy um, um, positions makes them want to go the route of, look, let us, create, let us have multiple conversations and make sure that there is a firm way to look at whatever the Supreme Court decides to do. And I think that is, that is sad. It's a sad state of affairs. And for me, the judiciary needs to step up and reform itself. And if it won't, if we get a national assembly, that is not like the last one that we just had, that, is, that was rubber stamped, but a proper national assembly, they need to then do judicial review. Because at the end of the day, if, if, if justice is not being served to the people, or the people do not have trust in justice system, that's a recipe for anarchy. So we need the elected representatives of the people to take a very critical look at the state of our judiciary and bring in you know, re reforms that all strengthen the law that makes it difficult for a handful of people that are not elected by the people to decide cases at their whim and caprices. So for me, there's, there's a clear concern that I fully share in how the Supreme Court has been deciding cases. And we wait to see how, if it gets there, because of course, let's not forget that, you know, there's first the tribunal, and then ultimately, if there's a disagreement, it will go to the Supreme Court. But I mean, hopefully that the entire judiciary takes the opportunity to cover itself in glory. And I must say very clearly, while I've, oh, everyone knows, who listens to this podcast knows that I'm a, I'm a Peter Obi supporter and I, and I believe that he won the election and I would like to see that affirmed by the, by the court. 
if there is a clear legal and factual path to a decision made by the, by the Supreme Court, I will accept that. The issue that I have is when they start creating all of these technicalities and looking for loopholes and things that they know are antithetical to the law and public interest. That is where I have an issue. Thank you, Phoenix. Let me go to Salihu. Salihu, as Phoenix has said, and the, the question I asked is, Ulisa Agbakok, by a well-respected Nigerian lawyer, has highlighted the case in Imo State, for example, where Hope, some people call him the Supreme Court governor, came forth in an election, but somehow was catapulted into first place by the Supreme Court. You have Senate President Lawan, who didn't take part in a primaries, but somehow the Supreme Court declared him the candidate. So Ulisa Agbakok has expressed concern that he doesn't think the Supreme Court is is following the rules and he doesn't trust their, their judgment. How do you respond to this, Salim? Do you, do you have faith that they will do their jobs in, in the case of Balatinibu? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, I have faith they will do their job. The problem with the, with the judiciary in Nigeria is, or rather not the judiciary, but our citizens, our friends in the opposition, people like the Phoenixes, whenever the judiciary doesn't favor them, they go hellwire. Whenever it favors them, then it's it's working. But absolutely, we I believe in judiciary, and I have no doubt that uh, that they will give the right judgment. But you can see what's happening, Michael. You can see, even before the judgment even comes to play, you can see the kind of threats, bullying, embarrassment that the opposition has been throwing about to the to 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 to, to people in the. In, in to judges in the Supreme Court. Some weeks ago, I was on my Twitter account, Michael, there was a guy that tweeted the pictures of each of these judges and their children. You see, these are the kind of people that we have in, in, in this country because they've decided not to win election. They've gone out there to spit on our judiciary. But I believe in the judiciary, I will see um, what will happen. But you see, again, the implication of what's happening is, like I said earlier on, is that there is no way that the opposition is going to win because they do not have solid arguments on ground to win this case. But now, if they don't, or the verdict doesn't favor them, then the, the adverse impact of the, on the country is what I'm even afraid of. But I'm sure Phoenix will, ha will have an answer on how we can maintain peace if the verdict doesn't favor his, 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 his principle. Now, just, just to get clarity on this, Salihu, so if you're saying if the Supreme Court or if the courts actually ruled that the Electoral Act was not followed and therefore Balatinimu did not win, are you saying you will be happy with that judgment? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We'll be happy with it. Yeah, definitely we would be. No. You see, the APC is a law-abiding party. We don't go around um, fighting the, the, the law. You know, we've lost states. We've lost elections and heavens did not fall. We know we took it um, the way it is and then hopefully we'll bounce back with regards to the result. Most of even the APC governors have lost their election. And if you look at it, people like the Matoli, even in Kano, they've all accepted the defeat, but I'm sure if it was the other side of the divide, they would have been shouting, uh, fire, 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 fire. So 
if, if it comes out that we're fine, it's okay, we'll accept the defeat and bounce back again. It happened now. If you talked about even Imo, what about Biosa? When we when when we when APC lost, everyone didn't fall. Leon took the, the defeat and we all went, and then PDP is ruling the state right now. So I don't have a problem with them canceling the election if that's the interpretation of law. Well, I believe that that's, that would not happen because um, I don't think the opposition has a valid argument to win uh, the case at the Supreme Court. Thank you, Salihu. But our, our time is up and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to bring you back here when we get a ruling from the Court of First Instance, which I believe is the, is the tribunal. But until same time next week, first of all, I say thank you to our listeners. Thank you, Phoenix. Thank you, Salihu. And some listeners were asking for some explanations for why there was a video of me taking part in a boxing event. I was boxing for a mental health charity. I will not be doing it again. I can assure you that uh, there are many things I like to do, but, but boxing will not be one of them. We, we are very proud of you um, for doing that. And if you do choose to do it again, I mean, we need we need some notice so that we can make sure we bring uh, Nigeria Political Weekly listeners there to support. Uh, uh, no, no, thank you. After that, <laughs> when I received the first punch, I was literally in severe pain, like I I thought, oh my lord, what am I here? Yes. But anyway, until same time next week, I say have a fantastic seven days to our listeners. Thanks, Michael. And again, well done. At least you didn't get knocked out. So that's the most important thing. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> thanks, 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 Salihu, for joining us. And thanks, listeners, for always being there. Wish you all a very good, good week ahead. Cheers, everyone.